We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome back to 10 Questions. Today's guest is Mr. Tom Gleason. He's one of my favorite stand-ups. I like him not only because of his wit, but also because of his anger, his red hair, and the fact that he's a proud advocate for bald men everywhere and stands up to media organizations who shame them. Tom is a Catholic school-educated science graduate and drummer who was in a band called The Fantastic Leslie with the Chasers' Andrew Hansen before he moved into full-time stand-up. Since then, he's done radio and television for nearly 15 years with credits that include Skid House, Good News Week, Thank God You're Here, This Week Live, and now he seems to have hit a real sweet spot on This Week with Charlie Pickering, particularly with his segment Hard Chat. I've wanted to interview Tom for a while, and our talk was everything I hoped for. Probably better. I started by asking him when he was most happy. Oh, that's easy, because I'm back from holidays just now. So I had my four-year-old daughter and I on a paddle board, and it was high tide in Marimbula, and we were just cruising along near some mangroves. And I said, do you want to go over there to the other side? And she said, yeah. And as I was paddling along, she was enjoying herself so much that she spontaneously started singing, row, row, row your boat. And she was singing it at the top of her lungs and her little voice was bouncing over the early morning water. And she um, sang a verse that I actually hadn't heard before. I mean, I should have, but I hadn't, uh, (laughs) where she goes, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. If you see a crocodile, don't forget to scream. And I didn't know about that. (laughs) But I found it really funny. So it was a it was a it was a complete joy just aesthetically anyway and just to have that calm time with her and she made me laugh. What a treat for a comedian. I know it's I'm sure it's old material. I'm sure <laughs> she ripped it off from ABC too, but it was I it was new to me. <laughs> um what would you do if some of your if your kids did go into comedy, would you encourage or, or, or discourage? Well my daughter she she actually was rather panicked a couple of years ago. I'd already put it into her head that I do gigs. And it's also just funny to hear at the time a two-year-old say gigs. <laughs> and um, where's Daddy? I'm going to go and do a gig. Where's Dad going? He's going to do a gig. She used to amuse relatives because um, they'd ask her what happens at gigs. And she would hold a fist up to her mouth and go, blah, 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 <laughs> which is pretty true. And um, But one day she told me she was quite um, concerned. She said, Dad... Um, do I have to do a gig? And I said, well, you don't have to if you don't want to. But she said um, that I won't know what to do. And I said, well, you don't have to do it. It really doesn't matter. You can do something else. She said, but it's all right. You'll teach me what to do. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll teach her early and, and she can be like that boy who used to go on a Hey Hey Saturday with Raymond J. Bartholomew. Yeah, that's remember right. That? Remember that? Remember that? I don't know how that happened, but that, that kid definitely... I, I don't think... Um, I don't think that the character was his dad, but I, I suspect that that kid went to an inner city primary school and had performance as parents. Yeah, yeah, and he. he <laughs> you know the guy I'm talking about. Dave? I, I do. Don't feel like he wore, him well enough. Yeah, he wore the little beret as well. Yes, that's right. Yep, and I think uh, it was someone maybe who just watched Hey Hey Saturday at Home. And he saw the act and then he just copied it, I think, and, and, and it became a thing. Could the kid <laughs> who was Raymond J. Bartholomew's uh, understudy. understudy please call in? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> question, question two, who would you like to apologise to and why? Oh, man. Um, oh, that's a good one. Oh, I would like to apologise to my family in general because uh, I do a lot of stand-up about them. And quite often I promise myself I'm going to ring them and tell them about what I'm doing. Uh, so they don't get a fright, but then festivals kick off and it gets all busy and everyone's laughing and people are turning up to shows and shows are filling out and I forget to tell them. So often my family discover what I'm going to say about them at the show because they just can't quite get around to saying it. And on stage, I'm far more honest than I am in person. I don't know why. I just can't. You tell it to a group of strangers it sounds less offensive to me, but often my family, um, you know, they're going to sit in the audience and just learn it for the first time. So, yeah, so my brother, older brother, if you're listening, I'm going to tell a very funny story about you as to what happened to you when you and I went to the cafe together. That's still my older brother. Uh, I, I do mean to ring him, but because I still haven't got round to it, maybe he'll listen to this podcast. That, that might help me out. Tom, are, are their feelings hurt ever? Oh, they just get put through the ringer a bit. Mm. But I kind of see it as their fault because all my brothers and sisters are louder than me. So when I go home on, at Christmas time and we see everyone, no one listens to my stories. So I have to say them later um, oh. at festivals and on one-hour TV specials, and then they can hear them now. That's the only way I can be heard. That's, that's <laughs> funny, mate. Um, the next question is, what is your greatest regret? Oh, that's easy because I've, I've been pondering this recently. So I've been in a, refl- in a reflective mood over the break. And uh, I used to be in a band. Years ago, I played drums. And in the band was also Andrew Hansen, who people not, might know from The Chaser. Mm-hmm. And the keyboard player was Cameron Bruce, who now plays with Paul Kelly. And wow. James Fletcher, he, he was the bass player. He, he, he's now part of the BBC World Service. People might have heard him in the middle of the night. Wow. So we were a band that we were um, more successful when we split up than when we were together. <laughs> um, <laughs> and anyway, I was the first one to leave because I left in 2001. I was doing comedy and the band thing at the same time for about five years, but it got to a point where it was pretty apparent I was going to be away for a long time. I was going to go and do the comedy festival in Melbourne at the time I was in Sydney, and I was going to go on... Uh, regional tours and I just knew that I'd be gone for months at a time and the band would get the shit with me. So I uh, said to the guys, look, I'll leave and then you can find another drummer because we were taking it quite seriously. We, we had a song played on Triple J once and, you know, it was all going to kick off. Mm. But anyway, just before I left, I'd already told them that I was leaving. Just before we left, for the sake of unity, I had to turn up to a meeting and at this meeting we um, met Rob Hurst uh, the drummer from Midnight Oil. Yeah. And we were chatting about this, that and the other. And then at the end, he said uh, that he really wanted us to come and record some songs with him up in the Blue Mountains at his home studio. And he's the drummer and I'm a drummer. And I had too much bloody integrity and I thought I've got to stick by my original decision. I've told the guys I'm leaving up to let them find a new drummer. I should have just, done a complete about face <laughs> and just gone and spend the weekend with Rob Hurst and recorded songs and then left. Who cares? 
To this day, I regret that I just didn't go up and just record with Rob Hurst. That would be such a cool thing to have said. So the new drummer did. That was his first gig, was to go and rehearse with Rob Hurst. Oh, mate. But the thing so, is, I don't reckon you would have... I reckon it would have been harder to to ever leave the band after that. I think, you know, maybe, Rob, Rob was, would have well, said like you're a really good drummer. <laughs> well, it's like a break-up and it's like meeting the in-laws or something. And mm. then, you know, Rob Hurst, imagine if Rob Hurst was telling me that, oh, this band's the best band I've ever heard. Like, with every passing hour, I would have been feeling more and more guilty about leaving. I suppose I made the right decision, but yeah. Yeah. I only think I should have just postponed and gone and recorded. Because that would have been, that, 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 I reckon that could have been more fun than anything I've ever done. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I can watch old, you know, clips of Midnight Oil and think, oh, man, he was so nice. He, he, he hit the drum sweetly. Yeah, he would have been putting, you know, I would have been watching Rob Hurst set up microphones around my kit. Oh, wow. You know, that that's, that would be cool. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've got nowhere near as good a player, obviously, but just to have that pleasure, you know. Mate, that's, uh, that is a quandary. I don't know, I don't know what, I think you, I think you probably made the right decision. Yeah, uh, I guess. I've done the right thing by everyone, but I haven't done the right thing by my own uh, life experience. Because by the time I'm 80, I don't give a shit about what's right or wrong. I just wish I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> question, <laughs> question four is, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? What do I still need to do? Yeah. Oh, oh God. Um, have grandchildren. I think that would be something. Of mm. course, at the moment I've got two kids and unfortunately I've waited so long I'm getting to a period where meeting my grandparents is becoming unlikely because I'm 41 and my daughter's four, and if she takes as long as we did to have kids, I mean, I've got to be well up over 80, which is possible, but it's also, you know, that's starting to become unlikely. So I'd love to meet my grandparents, uh, grandkids. That'd be a treat, but, mm. yeah, the, the, the generations are just getting too far apart. I I hear you. So, so um. Uh, well, so yeah, healthy living, mate, um, and just just, <laughs> <laughs> just stay off the grog. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, yeah. I'm just well. I'm just not going to meet them, am I? No, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Um, maybe I'm barely going to see my kids' VCE, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next question: Who is the person who most influenced you, and how? Uh Probably, oh man, it's, it's sort of hard to narrow it down. Let me, it's such a good question. I can think of one, surely. Um, you know, it's someone who's influenced me in a great way that people wouldn't really think about it is a comedian called Jeff Green. He's from the UK yeah. and people would know him. They'd see him on the gala and he's since moved to Australia. He's been living here for at least five years. But the first ever time I toured Australia, uh, like a full regional road show with Melbourne Comedy Festival, Jeff Green was on. And at that stage, he'd been going for, I don't know, it must have been at least over a decade, maybe longer. But to me, I, you know, he, he, he would just absolutely kill every single night in every single town under all kinds of conditions. And it would just always, he would always get this huge reaction. And I, the thing I got out of him was this professionalism that you can have in stand-up, you know, to do your time, he just showed me how it's actually not that hard to be at the sound check, to make sure your shirt's signed, make sure you do your time and, and do a great job every single time. And he, and he also gave me little tips 
real real kind of niche things like uh you know I'd be doing stand up and I'd be on the telephone you know pretending to have a phone call but I'd be favoring my face to the audience where my hand was covering my face and you'd say well just face the other way so the audience can see your face things like that oh, when yeah. he walks to this day when I walk on a stage uh that I've not been on in a theater he showed me how to put up your hands so you can check out the light and look for any dead spots because you can't, you can't see your own face obviously yeah. because you're inside your own face but if you hold up your hands you can sort of check the lighting by walking up the back of the stage so all these cool little tricks i learned from him so yeah he's influenced me a lot he's yeah he is remarkable i he was in um the uh body line documentary i did um is the oh yeah the english perspective and um yeah i was i was blown away by not just his performance in that but as you say there's his preparation i mean people don't get to his standard without being prepared all the time, you know, doing the hard yards and, and, and making sure that, they're, you know, they're ready for whatever situation. Yeah, that's right. And, like, you know, I'll see him pacing back and forth, you know, at a big theatre show in, up in the Gold Coast and he'll, yeah, he'll still be, you know, you can see he's still concerned about whether he's picked the right set list for that particular audience. Mm. And, and I'll think, oh, and, and they'll be, you know, I'll have had two beers and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just do it. I did Last night, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's yeah. just, yeah, very dedicated. It's great. Um, question six is, when was the last time you cried and why? Oh, um, just trying to think. It was, uh, man, I've had plenty of reasons to, but the, I never cry at the right time. I always cry for something mm. uh, unnecessary. It, usually it was, you just, I'm just trying to think of that last actual time. It would have been, it's always a film and I'm usually hungover. That's, <laughs> that's almost like you can set a clock to it. That that will usually be the case. Um, I was, uh, I'm just trying to think, when I last saw a film, when I was hungover. Actually, I probably should just think about the last time I saw a film. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> no, it would have been Star Wars. I think it was, um, the film Philomena. Oh, yeah, yeah. Steve, Steve Coogan. Yeah, yeah. I saw that in Hobart and I was hungover. And that was not... Uh, the film is actually about children being taken away from their mothers at an early age and uh, being looked after by the church and then the church covering it up. And I'm not a big fan of the church. Mm. But, um, but yeah, there's a scene... I don't want to spoil it for anyone to see it, but there's a scene early in the film and if you're a parent... Actually, you don't have to be a parent if you've just got a heart, I guess. It's just too much. And at the time, it was like, I was really excited about Steve Coogan's new film. I knew it was a drama, but I had to uh, fill the morning. So I went down there at 11 o'clock, and it's me and all the Blue Rent set mm. watching this film in a Hobart cinema. And I was just a little bit hungover, and I was like, oh, dear. I, I really have to hold it in because I, 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 I knew I was going to start weeping and embarrassing the other patrons, yeah. That's funny. Because <laughs> it's always weird to cry on your own in a cinema too. Oh, yeah. It's weird to watch a film on your own, actually, let alone to just be bawling your eyes out while sitting there on your own. I actually find that the whole sitting in front of something and, and having a good cry quite therapeutic. Um, yeah, just... it can be good, but I always feel observed a little bit. Because, mm. um, <laughs> you know, in a cinema, because I'm really quite tall, and I'm, my head is recognisable in silhouette 
you feel like something might have pretty, And also, an older audience, you know, they're ABC viewers. They go, oh, that's that guy from that TV show on the ABC. <laughs> wow, he's bawling his eyes out. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> he must have needed it. He must have needed a good cry. <laughs> he must have needed it. Maybe I should just completely give in and nestle into whoever's next to me. They might console me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next question is, what is your current state of mind? Um, pretty calm, actually, because I've just had... I've just, I'm doing what everyone else has done. I've... I, I've been drinking too much and eating too much, but I'm, I got back into the office yesterday. So, you know, suddenly the drinking's ground to a halt, mm. uh, trying to have less coffee, eating not as much, drinking a lot of water. So I actually, although you do all those things to celebrate, I probably feel better than I ever have during my entire holiday. <laughs> got out a good night's sleep last night. I've been drinking water all morning. I've been doing... I've been doing what I should have done just to, well, to live, let's be honest. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> to see and, your grandchildren. Um, yeah, so I'm feeling, yeah, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling very calm. Oh. But also my family, they're still on holidays. My wife and two kids, they're still at the beach. So I've actually got the house to myself. So I'm feeling very, 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 very still. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, is it good to be back at work? Yeah, it's really nice to be back at work. We're, morale's good in our office because we're on our second series, so mm. we all feel very clever. And um, an actor award, and, and also everyone, you built. Yeah, <laughs> we've all done a because we've done a whole season together. Everyone sort of there's, there's really good morale, like everyone's getting on really well. So mm. we're mm. sort of trying hard not to rest on our laurels and put those things on TV that we like to see ourselves. Getting a second season really does is an amazing confidence boost. That yeah. first season, you just like it's like looking for a place without a map, you know. That's right. With the second season, you know, it's good. You know, the show's going to happen. You know, people are going to watch it. So mm. I always feel like I put pressure on myself to remember those times when I've been pacing around the lounge room watching a show that I haven't liked. Going, who put this shit to air? Mm. Why, why doesn't anyone listen to me? So now that people are listening to me, I have to honour the memory of that crazy man who was angry at nothing. Yeah. How oh, many years ago? <laughs> that frustrated creator. I've got to try to... I've, I've, got, I've got to live up to the expectation that I've, you know, created for myself. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? It's like um, that is an occupational hazard is to have that kind <laughs> of uh, anger, you know. And then you meet the people who have put the show together that, you didn't, that you're raging about, and they're actually quite nice, and they worked really hard on the show. And, you know, they didn't mean to put out something that, no, that made you no. angry. <laughs> everyone's, no, everyone's doing their best, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes I find that... I was talking to someone about this the other day, actually, that um, I think someone was asking me how I knew I was a comedian, and I was saying that I looked back... I look back through my life and I realised there were lots of indicators early on. And one was I used to watch Full Frontal when I was a kid and I didn't particularly enjoy it, um, <laughs> which is awkward to say because um, Kitty Flanagan works on the show with me. But <laughs> maybe she may not have enjoyed it either. I don't really know. I haven't been brave enough to discuss it with her. But the, um, I didn't like it because some sketches to me were transparent rip-offs of Monty Python or things that I knew really well. And mm. I knew Monty Python back to the front. I was one of those boring people. And um, or I'd think that it, the ending to a sketch was too obvious, and mm. I'd go to school the next day and I'd tell everyone about how enraged I was at the low standard that had been set by this TV show, and nobody cared, nobody at all. I couldn't find one person in the whole school that cared. 
and that was a key indicator to me. Well, maybe that maybe that's the level that I care. And the amount of detail I watch it with probably suggests I should be doing it, not watching it. <laughs> That's <laughs> very odd. Maybe I get more pleasure from doing it than watching it. And I certainly feel the same about stand-up. I, I think I'm better at doing it than I ever was at watching it because I think that I'd get annoyed by a silly thing. Well, how I old were you? hard just to give in and enjoy it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> how old were you when you, when you started stand-up? Uh, I was 20. Twenty. Okay. Right. So you got in yeah. there. You got in there quick. You won't. It wasn't like you. You know. It wasn't like. No, but even, I didn't know why. I was, I was. I was in a band. I was playing drums. I was in arts reviews. I was writing poetry. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I just clearly needed to express myself. And once mm. I started stand up, it just all started to make sense. Yep. Yep. So then I. So then it, the other things fell away. Being in a band, arts reviews, and all that kind of stuff just sort of fell away. And, and, and it seemed to me that that was the thing that I was good at. But it wasn't like I wasn't never. I was never a big fan of stand up. I never enjoyed it much when I was growing up. I liked the goodies and weird things like that. But it mm. just meant it was just something I was good at. So yeah, I, I yeah. kind of thought, oh, so long as everyone keeps giving me money to do it, I'm not going to tell them I'm bad at it. <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep going. <laughs> You're great at it, mate. Um, <laughs> question eight is: What do you consider your greatest achievement? Hmm. There's so many. It's like, no, I mean, that's silly. But, I mean, it's funny. The things that I feel really proud of sometimes, they, they vary. So it's hard to narrow one down. I did support for Louis C.K. and he chose me to do that. That was an oh. achievement. And uh, to meet him and hang out with him and just to chat like regular comedians, that, that, that felt like an achievement. But it sort of happened so quickly and passed by. It's almost like it happened and then it, and then it, was, it was like it was a dream, almost like it never happened. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, it, sometimes I just, simple things I feel proud of. Like, I I just enjoy doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival gala that's for TV and being relaxed about it. Mm. I feel very proud of that. You know, that's that's a TV show where all these stand-up comedians do three-minute spots. And it's very stressful for the acts. And when you first do it, it's often your first big TV break. And I really enjoyed it. The several times when I've done it, I've improvised a little bit and just mucked around and just done it like it was a gig. And I'm not pretending to be relaxed. I am relaxed. And I like being at that stage in my career. I really enjoy that. And the thing I'm most proud of at the moment is that I have zero fear of TV. In fact, I, I really, I barely respect it. It's probably true. But, <laughs> but you know, I like being on Charlie's show and he never knows what I'm going to say. And I just like, tearing into him and, and being relaxed and being in that. I like being in that place and, and knowing that I belong and feeling relaxed about it. I feel good about that. When did you start becoming relaxed? When it, was, Were you always relaxed or did you, was there a time when you went, you know what, I, I know this? Well, there was, it's, it's almost like I played a psychological game on myself. I, I, I got asked to do Good News Week in Canberra, one of their big, they had a big special for Science Week. This is back when they did the first run. So this was like 99, 2000, about that long ago. Yep. And one of the producers, uh, Pam Swain, wanted to get me on the show, but she didn't quite know how to get me on. So it was Science Week. She knew I did the science degree, so she, and she knew I was in a band. So she said, if you can write a song about science, I'll, I'll, I'll get you on the show. So I went, yeah, sure, I'll write a song about science, which is ridiculous. I did. I wrote a song. 
put it together, a few funny rhymes. And then on the day when I came to do it, I started to think, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Like, I've never played a song on TV. I'm not a particularly good singer. Most of my comedy is stand-up. I should be doing something more along those lines anyway. <laughs> I just It sort of started to dawn on me. The, the reason why I shouldn't be do it, doing it was starting to pile up in my head. And then I was waiting to go on stage and I could hear the roar of the crowd. It was this, like I said, a big outside broadcast. It would have been a 1,000 people in the Canberra Theatre there. And I could hear Paul McDermott and Mikey Robbins carrying on and getting a huge reaction, the kind of reaction I'd never heard ever, mm. like at any gig I'd been at. And my heart started racing, like it was just like jumping out of my chest, my mouth was going dry, and I was starting to freak out. And then something happened in my head, something clicked where I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not going to be nervous, I'm sick of being nervous, this is absolutely ridiculous. This would go so much better if I was relaxed. When I get back in the green room, I'm going to be so much happier if I was relaxed during it. So I decided that my heart should slow down, that would be heaps better. And it just kind of did. And when I walked out, I, I just mucked around with the mic stand or something. I just did something off the cuff to remind myself it was just a gig and nothing matters. And it calmed me down. And I've never forgotten that. Whenever I do TV or anything, I'll always just do something, even if it's just for me to remind myself that it really doesn't matter. And then the longer you do that, you get to a point where you realise that it actually doesn't matter. <laughs> Mate, that's really good. That's really good advice. And, and, and I've mm. also found... In, in, in the stuff that I've done, that no one thanks you for being nervous. So don't be nervous. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, you don't. It's, it's just an absolutely pointless, wasted feeling. I mean, if it helped you run faster so you can get eaten by a tiger, that's good. Mm. But in performance, it's not doing anyone any favors. So it's, it's best gotten rid of. So if you're doing open mic, there you go. Just don't be nervous. Easy. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> I did interrupt you before when you were telling me about the Louis C.K. interaction. How was that? Yeah, well, on the first night I saw him, I watched his whole show. But before that, he was at the Athenaeum, and, and him and I just sat under the stage. That's where the green room is in that theatre. And he was sitting there, and it was about an hour until showtime. He was sitting in the couch, and I was sitting in the couch. And I just started chatting to him. And at the beginning, I, I just sort of laid it out flat. I said... I'm a big fan of yours, but I don't know your stuff back the front. So don't worry, I'm not going to freak you out. And then I told him about the first time I saw him, which was in Montreal in 2003. And about, and so that was probably just before he started that big rise. So that was a little bit of a connection. Like mm. I was just saying, as in, I've been around and he'd seen my clips. And so then we just got to chatting and it was mutually beneficial. I enjoyed talking to him because he's a fascinating man. He enjoyed talking to me because he had lots of questions about local, um, just local references and stuff he wanted to check. And um, the best thing that happened from that whole thing was I went up, I did the spot, I came back, and he was like, man, that was really good. He was just nice. You know, he's just a decent guy. He's like, and he said, that was really good. And he said, when you talk to the crowd, you talk to the entire crowd like it's one person. And I said, yeah, you know, I guess so. I've never really thought of it that way. But, yeah, I just, I guess I just talked. That's, that's just the way I do it. And he said, I bet you, you find it a lot easier to go longer than to go shorter. And I said, yeah, you actually, you're kind of right. I find an hour easier than I do a short spot. Wow. And he said, yeah, well, you keep doing that. You keep talking to the crowd like one person, you'll go a long way. And, and it was that, it was just that simple wow. thing. And I thought, yeah, it's kind of, 
kind of is that simple, you know. And the other thing I got out of him was that um, his set list, I mean, that show went on to become live at the Beacon Theatre. But if I wrote the set list down, it would sound boring. It would be uh, dreams, smoking pot, losing weight. Like, it doesn't, It sounds unremarkable, but the way he did it made it great. So, I, so the other thing I've learned from him is just not to ever discount material because you think it sounds like a cliched topic. You can always get an angle on it. It's so true. It's so true. It's it's a lot of people, especially when when you're doing TV, when you're pitching shows, everyone wants high concept, you know. Whereas yes. if you could just, it could be low concept but executed beautifully, and that'll get just as many viewers, if not more. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a way, that was the pitch with the weekly with Charlie Pickering. It was kind of like, well, it's going to be Charlie, Kitty, and Tom just doing well mm. yeah yeah that's the idea um what do you reckon guys <laughs> yeah yeah it wasn't there wasn't really a hook to it you know but we, it, our, our main pitch was well, we're all really experienced and uh, we want to make a really good show so can we make a good show please yeah and um thankfully they've let us do it that's fantastic um the ninth question is and probably my favorite question who would you want on your side in a battle and why? Oh man! As in, like, uh, like uh, military combat. It could be military, or it could be comedy, or a show business battle. Okay. You know, whatever you a like. Show business battle. Yeah, it just could be anything. Um, I'd really like Richard Wilkins in a bar fight uh, because people don't know this. Actually, I'd like Richard Wilkins and Carl Stefanovic to help me out in a bar fight. Because people don't realise this, A, that I'm actually really quite tall. People mm. are surprised by that. I'm 6'5". Wow. And people are then surprised to find out that Carl Stefanovic is the same height as me and Richard Wilkins is taller. And you've, I'm sure you've met him. He is a man mountain. I know and Richard I Wilkins. Is, I had no idea Stefanovic was as tall as you. Yeah, he's the same height as me, yeah. And so but Richard Wilkins... Like, to get him in just, like, picking up lounges and swinging them around, just collecting people, maybe at the Logies, that'd be good. Just Actually, that would be good, just to see him just just lose his shit, just on the red carpet. I, That's I would, it, I'm done. What is one song for Richard Wilkins's career just yeah. to, just just to, to just smash just throw the mic down. I've had, I've had enough of it. <laughs> I don't care what dress they're wearing. And then he just picks up a one of those... You know, the poles that hold up the red velvet ropes and he just starts swinging it around taking out <laughs> TV week subscribers. <laughs> I love it, mate. Oh, I love it. All these tall, tall show business people, particularly, you know, if you're in actor land, we're all short. So, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, he just, well, he would swing around in like a concentric circles and he wouldn't collect anyone for a while because a lot of the stars would be below him, but then he would just slowly lower his knees, <laughs> taking out more and more heads. That's, I love it. Um, <laughs> the final question: What would you like your last words to be? Uh, I don't know. I've, <laughs> I, I'd like it that I didn't. I'd like it that I didn't know they were my last words. That would be really good. Yeah. Uh, good night, darling. That'd be really good last words. You know. Good night, darling. <laughs> See you in the morning. <laughs> Just simpl- That'd simple. Be great. Yeah. Yeah. Or. Oh, what's that over there? I might walk over there and get it. And then, oh, didn't make it. Like, yeah. I'd, I'd really like it to be... Inc- I don't want it to be profound. 
I wanted to reveal that I was completely oblivious to my fate. <laughs> which is which is probably a good place to be. Yeah. What's on Netflix tonight? Yeah. Oh, and then he was gone. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 